Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of The Lowdown. Today I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Michael Brown, Head of Performance at Voodoo Glend. Mike, welcome to the show. Hiya, thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Mike, as I join you today, you're about to embark on another week of travelling. Standard procedure for Voodoo Glent at this stage? Yep, pretty much standard. So we travel down to Oslo for a game uh, in the Elite here and tomorrow against Lillestrøm. So that's a big game. And then we go over directly straight to London where we play Arsenal Thursday. So that full week away, it's part of the journey. Absolutely madness as we were speaking about off camera. But I mean, if we're to get really back to the start as we get as we begin with every podcast here, Mike, just a bit about yourself. I mean, what can you tell us about your earliest football memory? Well, that's a difficult one. It's kind of football's always been here. It's something that's always been part of me. I think the biggest memory that I remember from a kid is the 1995 World uh, FA Cup final. It's the last time Everton won something. So as an Everton fan, that's something that sticks in most people's memories. But I remember watching that with a friend on, on my mum and dad's bed and we just didn't really understand what was happening. We were five or six, but just jumping around when, when Everton scored the winner in the game. So that's kind of the earliest sort of memory that sticks out to me when thinking about football. And obviously football being a passion of yours growing up, uh, maximising human performance being another, how did both manage to intersect? Uh, it was, I think as most little boys' dreams, the dream was to be a footballer. Uh, was never really very good. I liked I was better at the running and the without the ball stuff than with the ball stuff. So I was always a hard worker. Um, so it was just something that was just natural for me. I wanted to be into sport. That was where I always felt comfortable. I loved being around the boys, loved being in the locker room. So it was kind of step into physio seemed like a logical way to, to start it. And then throughout my career now, I've moved over into a into performance side of things. And was there a range of different sports there, Mike? Or was it always football all the way through? Football was the only one I was any good at, but I, I used to play anything I could. So it was the standard stuff. Your football team at schools, it's then your hockey team, it's your rugby team. So anything at school, I, I played everything. Football was always the, the passion of mine. Um, after I finished uni, I went into, I worked in rugby first before moving over to football. So and I, I, that really spiked my interest in that. I thought that was unbelievable. And the respect I have for rugby league and the players, what they put them through is absolutely incredible what, what them guys do. So in terms of athletic development, that was something that from quite late really caught my attention as something that I had a bit of a passion for. But then, yeah, it's football's me. And as we're speaking off camera, I mean, one fairy tale you brought up was Everton's 1995 FA Cup final win. Another one is the one which you're living today at Boudou Glimt. But it all started getting that call to adventure via LinkedIn. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so I, I was working at Notts County. I was the first team physio at the time. Um, it wasn't a great period for the club. They'd just gone into administration. So there was, it was a bit of a sort of a, a strange environment to be in. I'd had a young kid at the time. He was only six months. So we were looking for something quite stable. And then the next bit's quite funny when I'm saying stable, but then uh, I had a message from Northern Norway if I was interested in coming out and interviewing for a job. And then it, it was as simple as that. Two weeks later, uh, I was here. So it, it was unbelievable. Things moved very quickly. Something I noticed when, when I came out here, it was... Um, for me, it's really important when you take any job to really understand it. But it's kind of like how much can you actually understand with just an hour meeting or a two-hour chat. But here, the, the culture and what they explained was it was 
definite. It was, this is how we do it. This is what we want to do. This is how we think you can help us. And it was to kind of set the stall out. So for me, it was a, it was a no brainer professionally. My wife took a little bit of convincing. Um, but from a professional age, it was just, it seemed like a club that was really going places. We were favourites or one of the favourites for relegation in 2019 when I started before 2019. But for me, it's something I believed in what in the project and we I could see kind of the vision that the coach had, that the club in general had. And we finished second that year um, and then went on to win the league in 2020 and 21. And then, like you, we've mentioned, uh, European success along with that. So it's it is a bit of a fairy tale at the moment. And that's such conviction and belief. Um, the club which they had in themselves was that something you were taken back by at the time Mike or is that none too apparent in wider football nowadays yeah no I, I was taken aback from it a little bit because before that the sort of the structure of the club was it was quite small it was almost a yo-yo club in between the two leagues it had a lot of proud history um, as a northern Norwegian team uh, it was the first northern Norwegian team to win the cup final and it was a it's a it's a big cultural team but just kind of that backroom of what they wanted and what they saw in terms of the physio team and the medical team and in sort of the um, physical team and what they wanted to do. Where our coaches is quite clear. We don't change. If we play in Roma away or play in one of the smaller Norwegian teams away, we, we play the same style of football and it's what we want to do. So we try and impose our style on everyone else. So for me, it's, it was simple then that we could just say, okay, what do I need to do to make the players physically better to do that style? And that, for me, that that clarity and that understanding of we want a right back to do this, a left back to do this, it was in place. And for me, it was then just, okay, how can I help that? What do I need to do physically? How can we keep players on the pitch from a rehab point of view? And everything was, was quite easy is the wrong word because it was a battle many times, but it was quite easy in my head to kind of go, we need to do this, this and this to really make a, a big difference. For those who aren't already aware, Mike, of Budu and its location in Norway, I mean, what is so unique about the place? Yeah, so we are just inside the Arctic Circle. Um, so obviously that brings with it the, the cold. It's minus 19 in the winter um, with 24 hours of darkness for six weeks. So the way our season is, we finish in November normally, middle of November. But obviously with COVID and other things, we were playing in 2020 until the 20th of December was the last game. So then that it's it's been dark then for three, four weeks. Um, we train outside every session. We never train inside. So during COVID, our pitch is owned by the like the communer, so the council. So we had to shovel the pitch ourselves because they weren't coming to do it. So we were shoveling the pitch, the players with snow in the morning. So it's, it's something that was just a bit normal um, kind of for us to do. The strangest of all is the summer for me though, when it's, it's 24 hour sunlight and that, that's really, unless you've experienced it, it's, it's really bizarre. You kind of feel like you're so energetic in the evening. It's really difficult to get to sleep. You kind of have to take yourself into a dark room or you just don't get tired. Um, again, we talked off camera, but from a uh, sort of physical and what you're going to do from a prep point of view for the boys, it's something you you really have to consider because play, players will be on PlayStations until three in the morning at the best of times. But when it's complete sunlight anyway, they can just stay up. And it's it's really something that you have to understand and kind of put plans in place and speak to players, especially new players who are coming up who aren't from Norway and don't really understand the impact it can have on you. So it's 
it's really interesting geographical demands that we have. Something which I'm sure that you yourself and the rest of your support staff will welcome too, Mike, the, that resilience, that, you know, adaptability, adapting to unforeseen circumstances, events as such. I mean, again, I think we were speaking off camera, you're speaking about uh, some of the younger players, how, you know, due, due to the squad profile of you guys, you have a lot of young players, you only two players that don't have kids. I mean, it must be a lot easier to adapt to those demands as opposed to vice versa. Yeah, I think it's it's definite. If you just have to, the less people you have to look after in life, I think it's always always easier. I know that since I've had my second kid, it's much much harder with two of them. But when it's just yourself, you you can be a little bit more focused. We have players. Obviously, we have two. Like I say, we have two players with kids. The rest of them, I think, in general, in preparation for the squad, the rest of the boys can go home. They don't have to think about anything. They just have to think about their own food. If they need a two-hour sleep in the afternoon to be ready for the next session. They don't have to think about playing Peppa Pig or wrestling or whatever it is with the kids that you have to do. So it's they can put much more focus on themselves. And I think that's something that well, I know it's not something that we've looked for. We don't say you've got kids, we're not signing you. But it's just a, a lucky coincidence that it's actually happened, and especially with the demands of COVID, with the demands of being in Europe where we've been traveling away a lot, it makes a big impact when, like I say, we go away today for a full week and there's only two or three of us in the whole squad who have to think about how's my wife, how's my girlfriend, what are the kids going to be up to, have they got enough support around them? Um, because it, it is an isolated place up here. I think the nearest big town is about an eight-hour drive away from here. It's our local derby against Trumpsa is an eight-hour drive. The flight is an hour flight, so it's, it is isolated. So it's something that makes a big difference with the young boys who are just, uh, we just look after ourselves, pack up, brilliant. We get fed free for a week at the hotel. So it's it's something that it's, it makes a big impact on us. And obviously on to a few years of success, Mike, I mean, there's a lot of domestic and continental games to manage in a season like this, which doesn't seem to be ending anytime soon for you guys. I mean, how tough is it getting the balance between getting the players actually match fit and then keeping them fit? Are getting players match ready and then keeping them fit. Yeah, I think that's that's the challenge, and there's there's no sort of secret remedy for that. For me, it's it's about if we're keeping players on the pitch and doing what we need to do. That's that's the focus. I think you have to remember that players are going to be working hard, kind of free spikes. So whether that's Sunday, Thursday, Sunday during the week, and the rest of the time is it it's about restitution, getting them ready to go, getting them recovered from that starting 11. The way we do it here at Buda, we don't really rotate the squad. That's that's the, the coach's sort of philosophy. He doesn't rotate very often. So again, as, as physical and medical staff, we know that we have to deal with that. So what are we doing for that starting 11? So we've come up with individual recovery plans for everybody focused on them. So we've really changed our nutrition that we do up here. And we have nutrition plans and We've made a really big effort this year to talk to the airline companies we use because we have to charter most planes. So we're trying to save a little bit of time, whether when it's training, eat, travel, we're trying to utilize an extra meal on the plane. So we've we've tried to align that everyone knows and can complain about plane food or say stories about plane food, but we've tried to align that with what we're doing and sort of nutritionally for each player. So we try and make it as individual as we can. We bring our chef along to... Uh, all European matches, so there's no surprises when we go to different countries. Because um, the the Norwegian culture, they they like their food, but they like the food the way it is. They have a 
tradition that they have tacos on a Friday. And if uh, for me, tacos, I don't know, it's, it's a Mexican or, or this type of food. If you showed that to a Mexican, they wouldn't recognize it. It's completely different, but it's the Norwegian, this is a taco. So when we go away, they want tacos after the game. That's how they, that's what they want to eat. So we have to make sure it looks like a Norwegian taco, not a what anyone else might interpret as a taco. So it's it's small details just to make sure that those players are actually getting the food in them, that they're recovering properly. The focus sort of for me and the physical team here is on the players who are not playing. What do we need to do to make sure if there's an injury, if the coach wants to make a tactical change, that them players are ready to go. And that's where we put a lot of our focus on and it's not hot. It's not easy. For example, like this week when we're away, we're in a hotel, so we're relying on a hotel gym. We're relying on on access to pitches that we're not too sure about for these players. For that whole week, we could be travelling and and on quite bad artificial grass here. And then is it is that an additional risk by putting them on that type of stuff rather than keeping them there? So we have to be really detailed on their plan. Um, for me, it's it's always important with them players who are not featuring as much as obviously they would like to or, or anyone would like to. No one wants to be on the bench. So it's about bringing the coaches on, on that journey with us. So we always try and talk to the coaches and say, what does this player need to do physically to get in the team? What can he do? What can we work on whilst he's not playing? I think then you get a better buy-in from the player. So we can then say, okay, the, the coach thinks we need to work a little bit on your explosive actions over 10 metres or your recovery runs if they're a winger or, or something like this then we try and incorporate those individual aspects into training, not just, okay, the, the eight subs you're going to do 4v4 session. We try and make it as detailed as we can to enhance that player. And then we feel that that's the best way of them buying into what we're doing, that they can then actually see that the club have got a plan for them and that we as physical staff have got a plan for them on, on how we want to move them forward and how we believe in them to get into the team. It's, it's not always easy to get a coach's input on it, but I think it's it's once you do and once you establish that communication line, it really makes a big difference on how we can interpret uh, interpret getting that player into the team, what they need to do and what their physical plan is. Does that communication, uh, Mike, does that occur formally or would it be a bit more informal? Yeah, it's it's something that it is it is a formal, informal chat, if that makes sense. Uh, any support staff who they know you have to wait for the right moment before you can kind of bring stuff up like this. We have our morning meetings and our end of training meetings where I come in and present the sort of the plan for the day, the data, the uh, who is going to be doing what for that day in terms of a injury or if we're managing load. Then I in that after session, if if we've just lost or if there's a game coming up, you know not to bring it up because you're not going to get any response but just waiting for them opportunities and the, the coaches are aware that the chats are going to happen. If we know we have a long-term injury, they know that it's going to be, okay, what, what can this guy look like when he gets back? Do you want him to lose some weight? Do you want him to put on some weight? So we get all them questions, but it is, yeah, informal and formal at the same time. And just going back one layer to what we discussed earlier, you're on the road so much, you're outside your environment, you're quote-unquote home, so to speak. I mean, with so many variables, I mean, with so many variables outside your control, I mean, what's the mindset like of not only the coaching staff, but you yourself and the, and the support staff in terms of how you handle this week away from home? Yeah, 
obviously, I, I think you, you find your ways of getting through it and you find your things to do. Uh, I'm an old school football manager man. So for me, in, in um, hotels away from the family, it's, it's brilliant to get a couple of hours on football manager. But I think it's about, I, I joke about that, but it's like, for me, that's important. When I'm away and you're, you're struggling and, again, support staff will know if players are in a hotel and, and they're bored, your treatment levels go up. So people just want massage because they're bored. So you haven't seen people for weeks at the stadium getting a massage. But when they're stuck in an airport hotel, it's suddenly, yeah, can you do my calves for 30 minutes? So that that's something that you have to manage. We try and talk to the players and we try and say, no, even if we're away, we keep it as normal as possible. This is what we want to do. Would you get this done the day before a match at home? Is a conversation I often have with the players and trying to keep the routines the same. Um, it is it is tough being away from home that long. It is tough with things like sleeping. Um, when we're in Norway and Norwegian matches, we're not a big club. So players, we, we don't uh, have single rooms. So everybody shares a room, which that impacts people's sleep. There's not that routine that you can have. When we go to European matches, we go... Um, single room so now we're going to have three nights in a room sharing and then when we go over to London the players will have single rooms um, and that that's just a, a budgeting issue we're not a like I say we're not a massive club so we have to try and figure that out the players naturally drift towards people who they are comfortable with in a room and we don't try and alter that or we don't try and say no we want you to go in there for different reasons there is times where we might think a player might need to adapt a little bit better culturally to what we're trying to do. So we put him with an experienced player who is kind of happy to bring him along and help him a little bit in that sense. Um, so that's that's a big part of it, the sleep. What we try and do is, is be in a, where we can in a city-based location or something where there's players, their access to a coffee shop or a, somewhere where they can just take a walk. I think it's it makes a difference if you finish training because... We play tomorrow, Sunday, we're just doing a normal recovery day. And then the players will be finished by 12 o'clock, one o'clock as normal. So what we try and do then is, is give them that opportunity. If they want to go out, they go out, they can do what they want to do. They can feel as normal or as, as homely as possible. Um, we try and utilise the time as, it, as any time when you have a lot of uh, games to look at videos. So we try and work with them players one-on-one. -on -one. It's it. <laughs> Again, that's an important one for someone like myself to try and... The coaches are also bored at times, so don't overkill it on the videos. Don't go for four-hour videos, which can really take it out of the players. So just it's just about education. And then, like we spoke about off-camera, you just get into the rhythm, and it's you don't really have that chance to enjoy it. It's just, okay, game's finished, right? Let's pack up. We leave on the charter tomorrow. We go straight to the next game. And you just get into the flow. It's It's been like this now since... 2020 where we've just gone bang 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 game so it is what it is now and it's kind of just adapting to that and just getting through it it's funny too when people speak about and um, your european success and then you know people always will look for the comfort and numbers and they'll always look for the tangibles however it just seems to me that you can't really put a figure on the cohesion community which there seems to be running right throughout the club yeah, and that, that's something that the club put a lot of focus on in that culture. Everything that, that happens has to fit into, into our culture. And that's by culture, I think it's a word that's used a lot. But for me, culture and high performance culture is just about 
being the best you can at any moment, whether that's at home, in terms of your nutrition, in terms of your sleep, your routines, whether you're at the club. I'm an old school stickler for, for rules and manners. If, if you've had a cup of coffee and you're not prepared to take your cup back and you're just prepared to leave it, when we're on the pitch, are you prepared to press that full 10 metres or are you just going to go nine and, and stop it? So I think everything starts in that culture and it's driven by the head coach. Everything he does is demands standards from the players. So it's it's something that we carry on into the gym. Is it if they're doing squats, are the boys happy to do the same 90k as they've always done? Or are they willing to push it a little bit more, go up to 95? It's something that we're always in every session is just, come on, boys, can we go a little bit further? Can we do a little bit more today? And that's that's the mindset that everyone in the club has. And it's it's a real from that first meeting, there's a, a real togetherness from everybody. Everyone is sort of valued. That's the Norwegian model. So everyone's opinion matters sometimes a little bit too much. When here you kind of think there's a hundred people discussing something that three of us could do, but it's, it's really good that you can actually then everyone feels part of it and everyone feels part of the journey that we're on. And two, you'd have to say the location where you guys are, Mike, really acts as a filtering system. I heard you in a previous podcast before and you were speaking about the club understands and everyone at the club understands where they actually lie in the global football food chain and that in fact it is really a stopgap for some players when they're coming but that also feeds back into the mentality piece as you spoke about and culture piece being willing to go that extra mile. People have moved to that club. They're, they're, they're going there. They're willing to work. Yeah, exactly. I think the success we've had uh, since 2019 We've sold players to the French top league. To We sold a player to AC Milan. We've got players now playing in Germany, in Holland, in all in top divisions. So um, I think it people come here going, okay, this is a product that's going to help me with my career. Um, so it's something that we already get that buy-in. So physically, our model is, is a high-press physical game. So when players come in, you, you kind of got a blank canvas and they go, okay, what do you think? How can you help me? And that's something that when we have the initial talk for over a medical is we have a plan for that play. And we said, this is where we want to take you. This is how we want to do it. This is how maybe we reduce your load at first. So you get used to the football, but then I want you to do X, Y, and Z to really push and take your career. And like I say, we, we have a, a core group of players, um, but nobody's, everyone's enjoying the journey. Don't get me wrong. And everyone likes playing. There's a real togetherness but people are looking at that next option. And that's something that I think we have to embrace. The club have been fantastic at identifying when people are ready to sell, when we have got the next one coming through. And it's almost a like an organic process where people are leaving, but the next one's there for the replacement. And we are then able to just make a bit of a conveyor belt at the moment, which is full credit to the club, full credit to the guys in the academy who are continually to bring up players. We've got two or three players now on loan at uh, Elite and Clubs, which is the top level in Norway, which when I first came in 19, they were, our academy boys were being loaned to like second division teams. But now our, our level is we are loaning them to other people in our club, which is in our league, sorry, which is a, it's a for me is a massive thing that they're being exposed to the same level that we expect them to be at. For you guys too, the team behind the team, um, I mean, do those development opportunities exist for you? Yeah, the the team behind the team is a small one. We're a small team and we wear many different hats and that's how we're 
we're doing it. We're doing a lot of juggling. Um, we're really trying to hone our skills where we can. The club are, are so supportive in us and they kind of back what we want to happen, how we want to improve ourselves and what the service we deliver. When I first came, there was me, uh, one of a physical coach and a physical coach in the academy. That was everyone we had in the, in the full uh, club. They've now invested in four uh, full-time physios, which is additional to what we had and an additional um, physical coach. So our team has gone from three to eight in a four-year period. It helps when we're making sales and we've got some money, but it also shows that they're not just spending it on a camera system or, a I don't know, something that the coaches want, but they actually see the value in, in what we do and how we can actually keep players on the pitch. Uh, for me, when I first came, I, I used the word accountability, which is something that I want to be. I want to be accountable for what my team does. So we, I send out a uh, monthly report, and it's a simple one. A lot of people will do the same, and it's just about what injuries we've had, what's our availability like, what's that availability like compared to the previous season, what are we doing right, what are we doing wrong. So I just make myself sort of give the numbers out there. We send it to the CEO, we send it to the board, the head coach, so they can kind of look at that and go, well, this time last year we had 78% availability. Now we've got 68 What's happened? And you can kind of go, yeah, well, we had an ACL at the beginning of the season. So that his numbers take us down every, every week. So it's just really important for me to show that, to show them numbers, to show the GPS, to show the players, show the coaches what the value that we can bring to them. Um, and that's something that we try and do. Our, our doctor wasn't very happy at first. He was like, oh, then everyone knows that we don't have good availability. I was like, yeah, good, because then we can get better availability. So it's something that we put ourselves out there and kind of said, this is where we are. This is where we want to be. And we set quite ambitious targets, um, which for the most part we've met, which is good. And we're just adding that value to what the club can do. It seems to be an inherent understanding throughout this conversation like that. You yourself and people within the club understand like what got you from A to B isn't going to be good enough to get you from B to C and that the ceiling is always being raised. Yeah, and and that's that's what it is. We know that we're never going to attract the world's best players. We're a small team from the northern Norway, but we can produce good players. And here we can really create a model where people want to come. We can see now we've signed in young Norwegian players because, like you say, they can see it as a gateway to something bigger. And the more we can actually work with them players, and the more we can push them and push our model, um, I think it's it's only going to enhance what we're doing in terms of in domestically and further afield in Europe. And aside from your club responsibilities with Voodoo, Mike, you're also doing a PhD at the moment. I believe it's on the intensity of football actions. I mean, owing to your experience in the game to date, I mean, you're playing at the elite, you're coaching at the elite levels now. Where do you see the future game evolving? Yeah, again, I think it's a difficult one and it and it comes a little bit for me in terms of trends. We all saw the Barcelona sort of tiki-taka approach uh, 10, 15 years ago now and then a lot of other teams are trying to replicate that. I think it's now the Klopp model and the Liverpool model seems to be the most fashionable and it's kind of, that's where everyone is working on. For me, I, I really like the diversity in football. That's where I, I really think is the beauty of the game. 
And I really like it that teams can uh, translate what football is differently. So for us, we are a high press 4-3-3 team. That's how we see it with our players that we get the best out of it. But what would happen if we then suddenly produced the two best strikers Norwegian football has ever seen? There's a guy at City might argue that, but there's, if we produce two, two Haaland's, are we still going to try and typecast them into a 4-3-3? Or are we going to maybe go into a 4-4-2 a four, four, or something like that? I think it's just really important to look at the players you've got as a model in the team and try and adapt to, to them as well. You can try and get them to fit your style, but it's all about utilising what you've got. I think you see that with some of the best managers in the world get the best out of players and they maybe change their styles where they go to different clubs or when they bring a new player in, they, they slightly adapt the system a little bit. So I think it's difficult to see the, where the future is going. I think players are going to only get faster and quicker and stronger. I think that's, that's inevitable. You can see now what people like Holland are doing, how quick he is, how strong he is, that he would have been completely different to a sort of typical number nine in the 90s or early 2000s. So I think that the level of fitness is only going to improve. Um, so it's it's really exciting, I think, to see what comes next. Uh, yeah, I'd have to echo that as well. I think if you look on a control v chaos continuum as well, it's about creating players. Or it's about developing players even nowadays that are more in attuned with their environment and everything's a drip down. You know, the days of stop, stand still are long gone. But um, I mean, as we end this podcast, Mike, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. I mean, you've been on quite the journey, uh, especially since leaving that job in Notts County. Um, in the last three to four years of Buddha, what have you learned about yourself? Yeah, that's a, how long have you got? I think that's a, that's a big one. When's um, the flight taken off? <laughs> yeah, exactly. For me, in terms of becoming what I wanted to be, I set out I wanted to become the, the leader of a, of a high-performing support team. That's kind of my vision, and that's where, where I want to go for, throughout my career. So what I learned about myself, the, the most important thing, and, and it, it sounds like a cliche, but it's just that communication. For me, I think communication in, in any type of sport, in any type of job, whether that's player on player, whether that's coach to coach, support staff to coach, I think that's the most important thing. If you can communicate right with people, being out here, obviously it's a, it's a different language. Everyone speaks perfect English, but that was a big step for me to come out here and put myself in a position where... There's no other English people when I came. So it was all about speaking English to non-English speakers. So I really had to hone in on what my communication looked like. It took a communication, a slightly different route in terms of culture, which growing up in England, being in England sort of my whole life and being around English style of sport, coming into a different culture and what they perceive as their high-performing um, situation is completely different to what I uh, perceived it as. So that's the most important thing for me and the biggest learning curve was to be able to adapt to what they wanted, both from a cultural and a sort of communication point of view, and try and put my own stamp onto what I saw, areas where I could improve and try and adapt to them and enhance that where I could. Brilliant. And as we bring this podcast to a close, Mike, I mean, for those listening that are even the slightest bit inspired by your journey to date, I mean, what advice would you have for them? I, th I think just go for 
an opportunity. Like I say, when, when I had the call to come out to Buddha, I didn't know where Buddha was. I had no idea. I'd never heard of Buddha glimpse. A little bit of research. I knew one Norwegian, so I asked him. He said, "Now nah, they're going to get relegated. I probably wouldn't go." But it, it was just like, "Nah, I wanted the adventure. It was the right time for me and the family, which helps." But just to go for it, just to make that plunge, go go all in, try and find a, a project that fits your skill set. Uh, it's really important that, like I say, that the vision of the club was clear. And I knew I could come in and, and help enhance that. So that was really important for me. So I say, just go for it and make sure it's something that you can impact and then go all in. Fantastic, Mike. Safe travels anyways. Hope you enjoyed uh, the week. Hope you enjoyed the week at all. Best of luck for the, yeah. continu- <laughs> for the continued <laughs> season, however many games you guys have left and we'll be keeping abreast. Perfect. Thank you very much. Speak to you soon.